Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And if you'd like to give us a call, feel free to do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. And last but not least, be sure to keep up with the podcast. Uh, so you can find our podcast every episode you hear. Uh, all of them that you haven't heard, you can find them wherever you get your podcast at. So if that's uh, SoundCloud or Google Play or uh, TuneIn or iTunes, whatever, you'll find us at Radio Slime USA. Okay, so that being said, uh, we're going to kick off today's uh, show with um, with one of our new segments. Uh, we have partnered with the Chicago Urban League, and we uh, talk with them each week, and we bring you the jobs report. So we're going to go ahead and check that out. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start off our show with that. Hello, Kim. Hi, Tariq. What do you have for the Radio Slam family this week? Oh, yes. So I have a lot of things to cover, a lot of exciting job opportunities, as well as activities going on here at the league. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, first up, we have AT&T. They are looking for customer care associates. Uh, the primary responsibilities for this position would be to answer inbound calls from customers with billing issues, tech issues, or general questions regarding service. Um, if you're interested in applying for this position, you can visit work.att.jobs. Next up, I have SGA Youth and Family Services. They are looking to fill a family support specialist position. Um, this person would assist with parents in understanding and implementing uh, the family partnership agreement that they have in place with that organization. Um, to apply, you must have an associate's degree. That's one of the basic requirements. And to actually submit your information, you would send an email with your cover letter um, and your resume to mmarquez at sga-youth.org. Um, the original Pancake House, one of our favorite places, is looking to hire hosts and hostesses, as well as cashiers and servers. All applicants must have a great personality and be able to stay organized in a high-pressure and fast-paced environment, must be able to handle customers with supreme professionalism. If you're interested in applying, you can do that in person any day between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. at 1358 East 47. So that's right at 47th and Lake Park location. Uh, Unicom, it's a teleservice 
24-hour call center is looking to hire. This facility is located in the suburbs, so reliable transportation is needed. However, they are looking for several call center customer service reps, and this is a full-time position. Excellent customer service skills with great computer literacy skills and a command of grammar and spelling are required for this job. And you can apply for that at unicomcorp.com. Uh, tomorrow, just uh, one day away, Ferrera Candy will be having a hiring event out at 7222 uh, West Thermac Road. That is the uh, Southwest American Job Center facility in North Riverside Mall. Or not mall, but in the North Riverside area. Um, to get more information, because the, the flyer that I received does not have the phone number, I mean the actual event time, you can call 708 222-3100 for the event time and to get registered. They are looking to fill for their Belmont plant second and third shifts. They're looking for package mechanic operators, um, mogul operators, maintenance mechanics, and quality control technicians. This uh, position or this company does pay very well and they offer great uh, benefits to their employees. We've had quite a few clients like with Ferreira and they only have good things to say. And so here at the Urban League, we are always busy working to uh, empower our communities to employment. And so in that, we have a brand new solar energy program starting up. It's a training program. This program is 48 hours. It incorporates classroom training and hands-on lab activities to prepare students for jobs in the solar and renewable energy uh, industry. We know that is an up-and-coming industry, and I would be great if you could break into that if you're someone who's looking to find where your next uh, career move should be. If you're interested in participating in our solar energy jobs program, you can come to the Urban League and come to the Workforce Development Center. We're on the third floor, and you should bring your ID, your Social Security card, and your birth certificate, and definitely your resume. Experience in electrical or, or construction is not required, but it's definitely a plus. And when you apply, you will be required to take a paid test just as an introduction so that we can assess exactly where you are um, and how well you would fit into the program. And again, that's here Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. You can come in and register. Um, tomorrow, we will be having a mini um, hiring event here on site. So some of the employers will have is Mariano's, Chase Bank, Chicago Park District, the Lighthouse Grill, and the Rehabilitation Center. Um, these uh, employers will be hiring or making soft offers on the spot for some of their positions. Not all, but definitely some. And also, this event is open to the public, but there are a couple employers in particular, like the Chicago Park District, they are looking for individuals ages 18 to 24 years. Uh, but I don't want that to deter anyone uh, from coming in. Uh, for anyone that's interested in participating or looking for more information on this event, it does take place tomorrow, but you would want to send us your resume uh, with all of your contact information today to the program manager that's handling that project. Her name is Letitia Brandon, and you can contact her at lbrandon at the chicagourbanleague.org. Um, and if you could get that resume over to her today before the close of business, that would be great.
Last but not least, we have CDT, which is Cook DuPage Transportation. They will be here at the Urban League on site Tuesday, April 10th. So I'll definitely be making this announcement again in the, um, in the next couple weeks or over the next couple weeks. They will be here discussing their company and reasons you should come and work for them. CDT is one of our favorite employer partners. They need 250 drivers, and they needed them like yesterday. So if you came here and interviewed with them on the 10th, you could very well, if everything checked out with your background and your motor vehicle report, you could very well be working for them by Tuesday, April 15th, at least in training. Training is paid, and then after no later than 90 days, there is a significant bump in pay um, once you've been on the job for no, um, no more than 90 days. And that is what I have. I'm going to send all of this information over to you, Tariq. For anyone who has questions or need more information on anything we've talked about or the services that we're offering here at the Urban League, our phone number is 773-624-8800. We are here every day, Monday through Friday, to service the public, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's Monday through Friday, and our phone number again is 773-624-8800. We are here to serve you. As always, thank you for the great information, Kim. Give our best to the folks over at the Chicago Urban League, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you. My uh, my pleasure always. I will talk with you next week. All right. That is All right. So that is our jobs report. We hope that it is uh, that is helpful. If uh, And it's also a standalone. Uh, we offer this uh, as a standalone segment that you can find on our uh, on our SoundCloud page. So... You can look for it every week. So if you know somebody who's looking or if you yourself are looking, uh, just check it out every week and, and share it. And we hope that it's beneficial. Okay, so that is out of the way. And um, we want to really quickly uh, just jump. Well, first of all, I've got to go ahead and um, allow my uh, my brother to go ahead and give you the salams. The impressive one, Ibrahim Beg, assistant producer extraordinaire. Assalamu alaikum. Yes. Nice to be with you. That's right, always with the deep baritone. Yes. <laughs> so um, one of the things that we wanted to, uh, you know, we're just sitting around talking off air, and uh, a lot of people, not everybody, right, but a lot of people are looking at uh, the recent shooting. Uh, yet again, it just seems to be, um, it just seems to be the same, like, like it's scripted. So honestly, it does not have the type of rage, uh uh, inflicting or, you know, where I'm throwing my hands up in disbelief uh, effect, you know, on me because this is it's, it's, it's systemic and it just it happens far too often. So we're talking about um, Stephen Clark, uh, the young 22 year old uh, father who was shot at or shot 20 times in his um, in his backyard. Uh, police thought uh, they're saying they thought that he was holding a weapon. Turns out that it was his cell phone. And at this point, now the floodgates, um, of course, you know, have opened and there's a lot of response, a lot of conversation around it. So to frame this, I want to first uh, put this in perspective numbers wise. OK, now they're, they're, and numbers only tell part of the story. But one of the numbers that we want to uh, keep in mind is this, is that African-Americans make up 12 point uh, from the last census, 12.3 percent of the U.S. population. All right. Twelve point three percent. 
uh, this year, according to the Washington Post, uh, which is keeping, uh, which uh, maintains a database of police shootings, there have been 264 total police shootings this uh, this year, uh, and that's that's a that's, that's a, a big number. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but of those 264, 57 of those that have been uh, shot by police are African American. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, you do the numbers, right? 12.3 percent of the population, and 57 is not is nowhere near. It's probably it's close to double that, probably, right? It's mm-hmm. over 20 percent. So there's a disproportionate amount um, of African Americans that end up on the receiving end um, of uh, police action than than their their white counterparts in particular. I'm talking about 118 um, for them. So let's just where, where where do we begin with this? Okay, one thing. Let's let's look at this. There are some people who are saying, and I'm not throwing anybody's name out, but there is a sentiment that people are not as invested um, or really responsive or really care that this is taking place. And we're going to talk about just within the Muslim community, mm-hmm. right? Um, that they were not concerned that uh, Stephen Clark was, they weren't worried about him being killed until they found out that he was a Muslim. What do you uh, do? You think there's any validity to that? I don't know. I mean, I first of all, I noticed just in general mm-hmm. that this uh, sh- sh- killing of Stephen Clark was um, getting less media coverage from the get-go yeah. than things have in the past, and I think people have kind of become. Um, it sounds really bad and it's unfortunate but desensitized oh, to yeah. this kind of thing over time mm-hmm. um, like when it was happening in 2014 and 15 um, and, the, and things are the timing was such that people were already galvanized and another one happened for example like like uh, Michael Brown happened and then um, Eric Garner was killed right, right. these things were happening and everyone was kind of in that mode right. and I think over time whether you call it fatigue or whatever on one end and on the other end people also becoming desensitized to it I felt like when it happened this time and there were other cases too I think um, Philando no I mean even recently like in the past couple weeks I think there was one other case um, I I was telling you about yeah yeah well anyway Mm -hmm. um, I think there was there's a desensitization in in general and a less I noticed there was less of a reaction um, this time around in general I do. Th- I, I agree. I do think that it is a matter of um, fatigue, or I think there's a there's a realism. There's there's a point where you start to say, "Well, we've marched, we marched after Trayvon." You know, I remember marching right down here. You know, Federal um, mm-hmm. Plaza. Um, we've marched. You know, for, uh, Eric Garner. You know, we've marched for. We continue to march, and the question at, at a certain point has to be. Well, what has changed? What what is the real? What's the effect of it? It, it it's almost it almost feels like it's scripted, right? Certain people uh, will have um, uh, some of our activists, uh, leaders, or pundits that will kind of take center stage and say we need to address this. Things need to change. But what has really changed? So is 
is that um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think people are giving up, but I definitely don't think that um, is having maybe all of the outrage is, is doing is having the opposite effect of what we actually want to see happen. I think there's a problem in um, the way these shootings are being categorized Yeah. as I feel like they're being all lumped into kind of one situation mm. when in fact there's like different situations. And that doesn't mean that any of them are justified, but the way to look at like why wasn't it justified? And, like, I mean, obviously they're not justified, but they're not identical in in um, the way they they happen. In a sense that, for example, Trayvon was not shot by the police. No, um, police want to be. Michael right. Brown was seems to be a very. That's the one actually that seems to be the most um, likely to be a kind of a racist, uh, rac- racially motivated shooting. Or Laquan McDonald. Yeah. Or, or Laquan. Yeah, even Laquan was. You, we don't know. Like maybe it, it's very possible. Well, it could have been. <laughs> they shot him like a bunch of times yeah. unnecessarily. But yeah. was it a clan execution? I don't know. Um, so the, the my point is that I'm making here is some things are like racially motivated, like Michael Brown, and obviously when Ferguson happened, the the protests and everything what happened in Ferguson, mm. which were being branded as riots, um, we really saw kind of the true colors of the Ferguson you know administration, and then um, that as opposed to uh, what was I about to say like other shootings. Where it's not, you can't really argue that it's like a white supremacist execution of someone. The point I'm trying to make is the procedure, mm-hmm. uh, procedurally, is obviously is very corrupt and it's wrong and it's unjustifiable. Mm-hmm. But to brand it all as a racist killing is taking away from our ability to, I think, tackle it properly, where we can tackle it through, okay, these police officers need to be trained properly. They're going out there looking for anyone to kill, you know, with, like, these trigger-happy kind of attitudes. Like that one execution video I showed you, remember that one time, in, in, uh, the guy in a hotel oh, yeah. in Arizona? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one, one important aspect to address is why are the police going out there with these trigger-happy uh, mentalities, basically? Well, you know what? And I think you bring up a good properly? point. I think you bring up a, a valid point in uh, not simply trying to lump them or categorize them all as racist individuals, right? Mm-hmm. White supremacist individuals. Um, but I think that leads us to the the real problem is that the system itself has racist underpinnings. The system yes. itself is a tool of, uh, is a tool of white supremacist um, thinking. And I think that's also why people have a tendency to jump to that conclusion yeah. is because of the history behind it. So, and in a sense, I can't blame them. Huh. Oh, well, yeah, I, I certainly don't. And the reason I say that I don't, I don't, I'm not up in arms uh, is not to say that I'm divorced from, uh, from, from feeling, right? These things, uh, uh, they, I, I, they impact me deeply, but I also recognize the, there's a certain futility that comes with running through the street screaming uh, in a system that is just is already designed to produce the, the system is working exactly as it's supposed to. Hmm. Um, when you have police departments that are uh, deploying three quarters of their resources 
into uh, black and brown neighborhoods. Um, and I'm just throwing three, three quarters out, right? But I can say just the majority in general. Uh, and that's something that uh, Michelle Alexander, she covers, you know, in, in her book. Uh, but there's just the deployment of resources means that there's going to be more activity. There's more likelihood that you're going to wind up on the wrong, uh, on the wrong end of a, of a, of a run in or altercation with police if you're in those communities. Mm-hmm. So, so I think instead of, instead of the conversation being about the individual instances, they have to be about actually restructuring uh, the system. Uh, and if that, if that doesn't become the, the focal point, then yeah, people will, they will end up tapping out. They will end up tuning out because it'll be somebody else next week. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at what point uh, do you say, okay, when are we actually going to really change something? Uh, and I'm, I'm questioning myself on that. I don't know. Anyway, Radio Song family, uh, we would love to hear uh, your thoughts. Uh, so feel free to inbox us, uh, tweet at us uh, at Radio Islam USA, or tweet me directly um, as well uh, at Imam Tariq Alamin, um, and let us know. Let us know what you think. Are people getting tired? Are we simply accepting uh, this as a as our reality? Um, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts? Okay. So look, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a short break. Uh, and we'll be back and we'll pick up our conversation there. This is Radio Islam. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency. And 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, Visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el uh, joined by my brother, Ibrahim Baig. And we've been talking about some of the responses to uh, and I guess some of the contributing factors uh, that continue to lead us to situations like uh, like we're seeing right now with the uh, with the death or the killing, uh, the murder of Stephen Clark. And one of the things that that um, that caught my eye this morning, I was looking at a, uh, a social media uh, a Facebook post, uh, a friend of mine made a comment that was, and sometimes we can, I, I'm not going to say, it, I'm not going to judge the comment. There's, de- there's definitely a lot of truth I felt in it. So I guess that is a judgment right there by saying that. But the, the statement was basically saying that, um, that the Muslim community, and when I say Muslim community, I'm talking about those who are not a- African-American or, La- or La- Latinx 
right? There's uh, the comment was basically saying that their humanity of of those folks, right, who don't fall under the uh, Arab or, or South Asian um, uh, demographic, that their humanity is not recognized unless they know that they have taken uh, shahada. So, to to illustrate her point, she said that. People have not, uh, there were people who, you know, they heard about Stephen Clark being killed, uh, but didn't say anything, weren't concerned. But then when they found out that he was Muslim, then there was this outpour, there was a response of anger or sadness. And, um, yeah, so so that was it. What do you think? Uh, are you looking at the post right now? Are you? No, 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 but I, oh. I can pull it up. I can pull it up. Well, I haven't seen it, but from what you're saying... Mm-hmm. I don't know. She may have a point, but at the same time, I have to ask, is it just natural for people to identify or to be more shocked or more concerned with someone when violence touches someone from their own community rather as people who they view as not directly part of their own community? Mm. Um, you know what? I have, to, I have to add this on, too. One of the things that uh, she added in there was said Muslims who have existed under colonized uh, societies, mm-hmm. right, uh, then find themselves Which is basically here. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> been touched, right? Um, I, I don't, what I think, what I think, I don't think it's so much that people have more uh, empathy for for their own group, right? I don't think that's it necessarily. What I think it is, I think this is a kind of a manifestation of the, of the, the takfir, um, uh, syndrome, right? Hmm. Right. We, we want to say who's a believer, who's a disbeliever, uh-huh. and the, the and the amount of times I've heard people refer to, not just you know African American, right? But other, it doesn't matter what the ethnicity is, mm-hmm. but I've heard people you know being referred to as Kafir, mm-hmm. right? They're disbelievers. They're, and that, in a sense, is a way of dehumanizing, taking a, a person's. Uh, humanity away and if you look at if you look at groups of people and you kind of just put the the blanket you know that they're not muslim so i don't they're not validated Mm -hmm. so i hear about them dying or hear about them being killed and the assumption is they probably brought it on themselves or they deserve what you know they deserve what they got well, the word uh, kafir, I don't think it has to always be a slur. Like, it just means someone who does not believe in Islam. Like, it's in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses sure. it in the Quran. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, uh, it depends on the way you say it, like so many words. Like the word Jew, for example, right? Yeah. Someone who follows the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. It could be used as a slur or it could be used as someone simply to describe someone who follows that faith. You know, It depends on how they use it. So the word kafir is the same way. If someone uses it as an insult, mm-hmm. according to the context of the thing, uh, sure, it could be used as a slur, but I don't think necessarily just to say that, okay, like, there's Muslims and there's non-Muslims, and Muslims are one family, mm-hmm. and non-Muslims are not directly part of that family. Um, right. Or you could categorize it another way and say, okay, human family. But there's different ways to categorize. And I don't think it necessarily it means that people are dehumanizing uh, someone by saying that we're Muslim and they're not Muslim, but I mean it could be. Those are two different things, though, right? Because mm-hmm. we wouldn't call. Well, I'm not going to make a blanket. 
I wouldn't call a Christian or a mm -hmm. Jew a kafir. It depends. Because, well, I, I'll say because there is a, there's an assumption of, of intent, of, of rejection while knowing. Mm -hmm. Not just, um, and this idea of, of covering up, right? Idea of covering up truth with falsehood. That in itself is a, is a destructive, uh, it's, it's a misleading type mm -hmm. of, uh, uh, of existence, uh, an individual, right? So that's not somebody that you look at favorably. So when I hear the word kafir, it is never with a smile, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's usually with some disdain. Now, it may be used in, in, other, in other ways, but I just, I've never heard it used uh, in those ways Any is anything other than uh, pretty much a pejorative mm -hmm. I would say it still goes back to the context even though if you haven't heard it that's fine yeah. but anything that Allah subhanahu wa says for example in the Quran yeah. commanding to the Prophet to say these words mm -hmm. say oh you who, who have disbelieved, disbelieved yeah. right the kuffar mm -hmm. and in other words the actual word kuffar is used in the Quran right. right so we have to be careful not to turn the Quran into you know, accusing it of being insulting to people or, or being a slur. You know what I'm saying? That's also context, though. Right. Yeah, like I said, right. context. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. The context of, the, of that particular um, time and also the intent behind it. Right. There's not an animus. Right. Because at the end of the story, it didn't say, all right, you're going to hell. Right. It just says, mm -hmm. okay, um, well, so you be your way. Way other parts. Right. <laughs> not, not in that one. Right. But. Um, but I think that maybe subconsciously, uh, this is tied to the presence of, and we're probably about to go off in a different direction, but the presence of Muslim-owned, uh, air quotes, um, corner stores in predominantly uh, black neighborhoods where they're selling alcohol, mm -hmm. right? And the justification, which I've heard on more than one occasion, well, these are Kafirs. These they don't believe, mm -hmm. um, which is in itself is a devalue. You know, it's a devaluation. So, what, what what do you think about that? That sounds just like a very weak uh, and pathetic justification <laughs> for committing this sin. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is sure. Rather, do they really believe that they're out there trying to destroy a certain community, just trying to destroy a non-Muslim community or whatever? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I'm skeptical of if, if if that really is their goal to go out there and sell liquor and try to destroy a non-Muslim community because they disbelieve or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then that would be a very sinister thing. But I. I I tend to view something like that more as a justification of this. People ask you, why are you Muslim? You're not supposed to do this. Right. And you say, well, we're not selling to Muslims, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, that's, that's, that's exactly an it. It's an excuse for their uh, corrupt behavior. Well, I mean, you and I know that. Yeah. But the point is, is that that fits into a system where not so much, I don't want to use the word white supremacist, right? Mm -hmm. I want to use a the, the term of uh, black inferiority. Mm -hmm. I think that is probably more uh, appropriate where it's seen as, well, it, it's okay because it really fits into the whole paradigm of the country, you know, of how, how it operates today and its history before. And we're not really doing anything differently to, to these folks. Um, that has that has been done already, 
So it's so it's almost acceptable on a subconscious level. And nobody probably would ever say that, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing it because it's been done, right? Um, but I think to her comment, right, going back to the, the, the Facebook post, I think that attitude may be there. There, there may be some validity for it, just in the, the subconscious way we see one another, um, or the just the unwritten uh, but historically proven uh, rule that if you that it's okay to devalue um, mm-hmm. black lives. That's why you got a Black Lives Matter movement. Which yeah. is took taking some shots. Yeah, that's a whole other subject. Right. What, what happened to the Black Lives Matter movement? I yeah. f- feel like it's less uh, vocal and less in the spotlight right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but going to back to her point, I yeah. feel like she made the error of um, trying to break it down into absolutes when it's not really like that. Mm-hmm. She's trying to paint this picture where. Okay, if you guys who are immigrants or your you know parents, grandparents are immigrants or whatever from mm-hmm. these other countries, you guys, if uh, there's someone who is not Muslim who's having their rights taken or being killed or being abused in some way, mm-hmm. it's like you don't care at all. You don't even notice. And then once you find out you're a Muslim, oh, and now you're all up in arms. So it paints this really kind of dichotomy, you know, kind of picture, which I don't think is that. Uh, I don't think it reflects reality that much. Mm -hmm. What I would say is is to turn it down a notch, and then it kind of, like, makes sense. If you were to say, like, okay, that the Muslim community at large in general is kind of more hurt or more concerned or more shaken up when something happens to one of us than when something happens to a non-Muslim. That, I would say, is true, and I would even argue is maybe just understandable in some ways. Hmm. I think I, th- I think that's 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 valid. Um, I don't think it invalidates the point that that she's making, though. I mm-hmm. think it's um, there. There are certainly layers to it, um, and a if lot she's of times using when you're as, hurt, yeah. If she's using it to articulate yeah. the problem of racism faced by Muslims who are f- not from the Middle East and not from South Asia, etc. People who are African American or Latinx, mm-hmm. and the lack of um lack of i guess inclusion that they feel as far as their family members who aren't muslim yeah right the detachment that they feel between their family members who aren't muslim and then their community members who are muslim right there's a big gap there's there's no real um overlap or interaction to voice that concern to that that problem she's trying to articulate that maybe okay you know i can understand that but um, as far as saying, yeah, I think she could turn it down a notch, and it would make more sense. <laughs> I, I mean, I, speaking in, in in generalities, I can agree. Um, although my own experience has shown me show me that there that there is there there is there's inclusion. There are people who want to to reach out. They want to connect. Sometimes don't know how to, right? They don't recognize a space where they feel comfortable to make those uh first steps so that's that's one of the uh i think one of the observations we don't talk about all the time because they're they're not a whole lot of spaces where you can connect with um 
with the other that you may not know, but we we recognize each other, you know, as as as, uh, as, as brothers and sisters, you know, in Islam. But not having uh, a relationship that often that gets in the way of really being able to connect with somebody, whether in grief or support or whatever. Um, so I think it's as much about making sure that there's there are platforms for um, connection. Um, but then it's also, I think, important to recognize that we start to replicate systems of oppression that we don't that we that we don't re- that we don't um, realize that we don't give voice to. And some of those are found not just here, but just around the world. I think that was a good point in bringing up colonization and the, the colonized mind and uh, and how that has impacted us. So, yeah, a lot of layers to it. A lot of layers to it. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. And um, at the very least, hopefully, those type of criticisms um, spur some, you know, thoughtful conversation on how to actually move from uh, deficient, uh, deficiency to, you know, um, uh, to some type of communication that's, that's beneficial for us. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, we talked about, well, you just mentioned Black Lives Matter. I don't know if that's really attached to this other issue that we're going to um, bring up. And that is, no, we'll leave that. We'll, we'll come back. We'll talk about this some other time. <laughs> okay. Because okay. uh, we also got, uh, we have the Second Amendment. Yes. That, oh, okay. I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I see. <laughs> yeah. So we've got the, the Second Amendment, uh, and it's there's a lot of conversation going on about that, uh, particularly after any time we have a mass shooting. And if that mass shooting happens to involve a uh, an automatic weapon, then the Second Amendment conversation is going to come up. So after... Um, uh, the uh, mass shooting in, uh, in Parkland, Florida. Now we have a retired uh, Supreme Court justice who issued, uh, he, he did an op-ed. Was that an op-ed he did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically he's talking about the repeal of it. Now you read the whole op-ed, right? I did. Now, I w- read it. Uh, well, let's wait until we take a short break. Okay. All we'll right. Come back. <laughs> All right. That'll work. All right, Radio Slime family. We're going to take a short break. Uh, as you heard Ibrahim say, and we'll be right back in a bit. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we are streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Remember to, excuse me, all right, a little problem there. 
remember to uh, follow us, like our pages, right? We've got them up just for you. All right, Radio Slime family, I'm, I'm going to tell you something really, really quickly, really quickly. This is my least favorite intro music. This is my <laughs> my least favorite borderline borderline hatred. <laughs> but it's uh, it's terrible. But anyway, uh, make sure that you are following and liking our social media pages: uh, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, and Facebook at Radio Islam USA. And uh, and make sure you're following that podcast wherever you get your podcast at. You will find us at Radio Islam USA. Okay, all right. I'm oh, the music's not that bad. <laughs> just, there's a beginning part and then it, there's a second it, it part. changes a little bit. Yeah, I'm have to. I might have to listen to the whole thing, right? Because I only ever hear like the first <laughs> 45, 60 seconds of it. Mm. Yeah, and it's just like it's almost. It almost feels like bad double dutch. <laughs> you see, you know, see kids you know playing double mm-hmm. dutch. Um, like I don't know where to jump in it. Every uh-huh. other song, okay. <laughs> I got a, a break period. I know. Okay, that's my point. I come mm-hmm. in. But uh, yeah, that yeah, one. That's a good point. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. Okay, so um, anyway, so before the break, um, we're talking about the former uh, uh, Supreme Court justice who wrote an op-ed where he's talking about abolishing the Second Amendment, and yes. you you read it. Justice Stevens wrote an op-ed that was published in the New York Times. Um, I think it's if you go on right now, it's still one of the most the most popular article uh, recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's got like over 4,000 comments. Wow. How, how many are yours? Uh, just one. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give away my comment because I want to, because I don't use my real name. I want to keep my oh, identity okay. uh, hidden. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. But anyway, I thought, I, basically he was, he came out and it's not an exaggeration here. It's not, you know, kind of an over the top uh exaggeration of what he said he really did say it's time to repeal the second amendment Hmm. um because basically it's an archaic thing which was created you know at that time and it served a different purpose than what it's serving today um and he was also in some of the recent cases this century that decided this kind of that kind of solidified this uh interpretation of the second amendment as guaranteeing gun rights to every single individual the key cases such as I believe um, Heller versus uh, Washington D.C. Okay, and also now McDonald versus Chicago. I don't know if he was the justice at that time or not, but in Heller versus uh, Washington D.C., a uh, key case which decided, basic, which basically upheld the right to personal gun ownership, because um, as we know, the city of Chicago and also D.C. at the time were uh, prohibiting. They had basically yeah. a ban, right? right. So you can't own a gun if you live in our city. Mm-hmm. Um, this was ruled unconstitutional, and not only that, but it really solidified the interpretation of the Second Amendment as something which guarantees gun ownership for every single citizen of the United States. Right. He voted against that decision in uh, Heller versus uh, Washington D.C. Okay. So he's been against that kind of interpretation, you know, from the get-go, and he basically argues that it's the Second Amendment was intended for militias mm-hmm. um, to establish militias, and a new thing that he said, which I hadn't thought of before, is actually they did it. I was assumed that it was done from like fear of uh, the uh, England trying to reinvade the country and stuff, which they did in 1812. Um, but he actually points out that it was um, 
for the fear when the when the United States was a new country, there was a lot of debate, as we know, about how much strength the central government should have. Right. Where some people were like, "No, if it's too strong, then we basically go back to this yeah, kingdom, kingdom mm-hmm. that we were fighting to get away from." Mm-hmm. So he said the establishment of militias in that context was to protect against a federal. He he throws it out there that maybe it was to people wanted to protect against a central government, a federal government that was too strong. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> what's interesting is that in both of these claims, this smaller claim and in the larger claim of repealing the Second Amendment, he really makes a, I would say, a phenomenal mistake of pretty much, <coughs> excuse me, validating the fears of all the conspiracy theorists out there, because they're main. What, they're trying to take our guns. They're trying to take our guns, and they're trying. To, they're trying to take our guns. Period. Right. Mm. Most people would call it okay. We want an assault weapon ban. Right. We, there's lax laws when it comes to uh, who can buy a gun and where you can carry a gun and so on. Mm. Um, let's deal with that. But he says to jump to no repeal the Second Amendment altogether. It really justifies those people's fears, and it, and and at least in their mind, it justifies their fears that yes, because they've been they've been um, talking about you know this. Eventually, they're going to try to take our guns. You know, eventually they're going to try to take our guns. Eventually, they're going to try to get rid of the Second Amendment altogether and people are like no 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 come on we're not calling for that you know and most of us aren't calling for that right. but he really gives life to that fear mm-hmm. by doing this um and he gives life to their uh supposed justification for guns which is that you have to protect against an out of control government and you're going to have to you know go against go up against the government somehow and so i think mm-hmm. it's a huge mistake what he did yeah you know what though it- I think people are deluding themselves, and I'm not even speaking to the uh, legitimacy of, of his argument or uh, the le- le- legitimacy of the fears of those who think the Second Amendment is, be- is being abolished. Um, but I think it's delusional to think that you're going to com- that you're going to compete with the technological and um, uh, the I don't want to say the military. Yeah, the military might. Right of the federal government, right of the, the United States uh, military. I agree. With your militia, it's a. I agree. It's a. It's a ridiculous reason to own a gun. It, right? it really is. It really is. So uh, I agree with that. But like I'm saying, he's d- has done a lot right now to mm-hmm. validate that notion in people's minds. But well, yeah. But also, I think what it does, it also sets the the groundwork for some some real negotiation. Right. You go to the extreme. Right. We, we want the Second Amendment abolished. And I'm not in favor of that. I just, you know, say that. Um, but to get to a middle ground, to actually get to the point where we're saying that we will have an actual ban on assault uh, weapons. And, and that could be and there could be some geographical um, considerations that are given to that. Um, but. <laughs> but it's it, it's ridiculous to think that um, that that you that you're going to stack up against uh, the, the military. That's that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the second thing, like I said, I'm going to go back to this idea as a bargaining point. I think that's what it represents more than anything. Uh, and there will be some people who say that um, that we should actually consider that, especially when you look at. Uh, I was just looking at a report uh, NPR did uh, a couple of uh, years ago, and they said the United States ranks. 
uh, as uh, 31st. They have the 31st highest rate in the world of um, uh, of gun-related deaths. Uh, and then they also they looked at the difference between or indicated as far as uh, socioeconomic uh, success um, in comparison to to gun deaths. So it says that the average education level or income per person and average education level, uh, the United States ranks ninth in the world. Um, and we only have, they list uh, Luxembourg, Denmark, Norway, Netherlands, Iceland, Andorra, Canada, and Finland as a head. But then on the other side of that, as far as gun violence is concerned, we're 31st, uh, 31st highest. And there's something wrong with that. So to, to think that... You mean 31st highest or 31st lowest? Uh, no, it says with the, uh, those countries also enjoy low rates of gun violence. So 31 countries have less gun violence? I mean, 30 countries have less gun violence than us. That's what you mean, right? Yes. Okay. Or Yeah, it says, uh, what, 3.85 deaths due to gun violence per 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, so we're higher, so we have higher rate than 31 other countries, mostly developed countries. Okay, so in comparison to Canada. Says yeah. we're eight times higher than right. the rate in Canada, yeah, yeah. right? Which is point four eight deaths per hundred thousand, mm-hmm. twenty seven times higher than uh, one in Denmark, uh, which has point uh, yeah. fourteen deaths. So, in comparison, you you, you compare the, the socio economic um, ranking to our gun uh, deaths, mm-hmm. it it doesn't it doesn't add up. That means that. There's where there's smoke, there's fire. There's mm-hmm. some, there's something wrong, uh, and to 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 hold on to simply saying that we're going to keep moving as if you know business as usual, that in itself is is idiotic. Mm-hmm. There's something that has to be done. So maybe maybe his point is it's going to help us to have a, a real dialogue. Yeah, well, there's also two main reasons. When I wrote my comment, I won't tell you it was the comment. Is like exactly, <laughs> yeah. but basically, I said there's two main reasons why uh, this is wrong. The first reason is that it kind of breaks the seal, um, as far as altering the Bill of Rights, right? The Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, which were added uh, at the time the Constitution was ratified. Sure, there were amendments to the Constitution, but they were added pretty much at the same time. Mm-hmm. These Bill of Rights are basically what define our country's identity as a democracy. Right now, there's one amendment there that is starting to arguably be like obsolete, or or um, it's no longer applicable. It's not being applied in the way that it was meant to be applied, and so on. Okay, but aren't there other solutions to that problem rather than to repeal that amendment and then open this door, which I don't think will ever truly be able to be closed, which is modifying the Bill of Rights, right? Precedent. Um, yeah, absolutely. Precedent. Once that precedent is there, once that seal is broken, there's no way to tie things up once again. Right. So we're really looking at a huge, really a huge change in our identity as a country if that happens. Mm-hmm. And so you'd ask, okay, well then what's the way to solve the problem if we don't get rid of the amendment? Well, the amendment as it stands right now is interpreted in a certain way. So the solution is, one solution is to, um, I didn't talk about this, but one solution is to get in a government getting a president who will appoint certain judges and so on that will be able to reinterpret it in a new way which is not the same way as being interpreted right now which is universal gunship kind mm-hmm. of no questions asked right um 
that can be done. The other thing I argued is it's more effective anyway and more practical to aim for legislation, congressional legislation, rather than a whole amendment, because amendment is the hardest thing to pass, right. although it's the most permanent. Mm -hmm. An executive order, uh, agency regulations is the easiest thing to pass, to get through, Temporary. but it's the least, the yeah. least uh, uh, permanent, mm -hmm. right? So congressional legislation is both as meaningful um, and it's a little bit difficult to get past because you need to have probably a majority or at least, not if not a, a party majority, a, at least a majority of people agreeing with you on, on a certain thing, you know, right. um, which happens, which can happen through huge social movements like the civil rights movement in the 60s and so on, mm -hmm. where people just kind of got to a point, well, that was an amendment, but you can get people to get to a certain point where they're like, okay, f we get it, we agree, we're going to vote for this, you know. Mm -hmm. So legislation and uh, voting in politicians who appoint certain judges and approve certain judges to reinterpret the Second Amendment, these are the paths to go. Rather than attacking the, like I said, once, once again, it really justifies people's worst fears. If the Second Amendment is repealed and the Bill of Rights is no longer considered an unchangeable um, thing which, from which the country derives its identity as a democracy... Right, if that if that is kind of if that is gone, if that precedent is gone, then it's going to be disaster. It's going to be huge, and there's going to be people who have guns are going to say, "Look, you know, Judgment Day or whatever is here. They're really trying to take our guns, and it's going to be violence because of that. And it's really just going to be a, a huge, huge disaster." So I'm totally against what Justice Stevens said here. And it's it's really seeking the easy way out mm. and in something that doesn't have an easy way out, you know. It requires a social movement, um, a large scale, long term social movement to dethrone the NRA and dethrone this kind of mentality when he's saying, Well, let's just get rid of the amendment itself. It's really a quick fix. I don't, I don't fix. know. I, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily a, a quick fix. Um I don't agree with it. But when you talk about building social movements in the era of mass communication, where so much of our public discourse is based or rooted in fear, like you have these guys, uh, this whole segment of the population that's worried about or afraid of somebody coming to take their guns, right? Who was it? Uh, Ted Nugent, right? You take it from our cold, dead hands. I think that was the uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton, no, Charlton Heston? Yeah. I thought Ted Nugent said that, too. Maybe. He probably said it, too. Okay, so we got a bunch of people saying Well, okay, well, maybe. Well, it, well the point being, um, this fear of, of losing gun ownership, it's, it's, it's no different, or its impact is no different than the fear of, that is stoked uh, by the media um, of Muslims, mm -hmm. right? It's no different than the fear that's stoked um, <clears throat> by the media of refugees, excuse me, um, of immigrants in general. Of of, of of black people, right? So this fear machine can itself is its own social movement, and I think because of that, it's it's gonna stop, it's gonna stop people from really coming together and thinking clear-headed, uh, thinking about taking into effect that we have a we have more gun deaths here, right? Twenty-seven times more than Canada does, mm -hmm. um, and you can just go down the list. So, yeah, legislation, it, it, it would certainly work, but our legislators only work when their constituents mm -hmm. are on them enough 
and galvanized enough to say, look, we actually, you know, we want some change. You got, you have to do this. But just when they had the March for Our Lives, um, you know, was it last weekend? Mm-hmm. There were counter protesters in other places. Yeah. We just had 17 people uh, die, 17 more wounded. And a lot of the kids who led the movement were being shamed on social yes. media. And so on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very weird and it's very tragic. But um, so, like, so my point is this. Yeah. So to have to have that social movement that's going to lead to that legislation, you got you have to have a, a real uh, a cohesion that mm-hmm. I think the fear mongers are going to make sure uh, doesn't happen. There's fear mongers in against every social movement, you know. Like for example, um, what they say about Muslims, a lot of those same people actually mm-hmm. uh, seems like that Muslims are trying to, you know, take over the country and stuff, and they just don't admit it yet and stuff. We know there's no truth to that, though. Right. You know, it's pure fiction, 100% fiction. Yeah. Now, what would the effect be if a Muslim or a group of Muslims came out and said that they really want to do that, you know? (laughs) This is what I would compare to what Justice Stevens is doing right now. Right. Their worst fear was that, the Second Amendment is going to be repealed and guns are going to be taken away from everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, Justice Stevens, he stops short of saying that we want to take guns away from every single person. Right. But he does say that we want to repeal the Second Amendment. So, like I said, it's a... <laughs> what do you say now to those people? You know? Yeah. And there's one other consideration um, that makes this a foolhardy suggestion, is that you immediately create a black market where guns... Um, their their price, their value, it, it skyrockets. Um, and you also have not just the NRA, NRA, but you have gun manufacturers. Like, what, what are we what what are, what are we going to do with all these guns, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are the gun the ownership rates? There's one gun for every person. I think it might be even higher than that, but I think I was reading as one as at least one gun for every person. In the United States of America right now, with, with you know here, yeah. So that's a huge that's that's a huge hole, uh, and guns are not they're not about to disappear. They're not going to go away because you says mm-hmm. they're you know they, they're 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 illegal. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't think it's, it's it's certainly not well thought off. But I just look at it as a bargaining. Uh, it's a bargaining chip. That's 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 all. So it'll it'll push people to the middle. And we may actually get something done if uh, the folks that are spearheading this don't run out of steam. So, all right, Radio Islam family, uh, we have come to the end of another edition of Radio Islam. Uh, Join us every night at 6 p.m. Central, from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. Uh, We want to thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Thank you much. Uh, Thank our assistant producer. And uh, yes, co-producer for the uh, for the evening, uh, engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bey. Uh, I'm your host, Tariq Alamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you the views expressed are those of the host, uh, guest, uh, not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. All right, I think that's it. So we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Everybody have a great evening. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.